Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions. ElementOpie.com. And now, here are your hosts, Christy Vincent and Brian Brueger. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 38, the Connected Teacher for March 27, 2012. I am your host, Christy Vincent. Tonight, we are joined by the great Brian Brueger, the amazing John Mikulski, and fabulous Mark Cockrell. Our special guest this week is Sandy Kendall. This week, we are going to one of the great social media gurus for teachers connecting with their professional learning network, also known as a PLN. So we all we all have heard the great buzzword PLN, and I don't want to jump straight into Sandy's wonderful information, but I know I rely on mine frequently, daily, by the hour. Um, last night, we had some horrific storms blow through the central Texas area. And at 1 a.m., I had no power, but my two-year-old was tired and scared. So we were up and I caught Sandy on Twitter and I'm like, Sandy, do you have power? Can you tell me what's going on? So what do you guys use your, your PLN for? Who's your go-to person? You know what? Anyone on Twitter, honestly. Like, I, I've never really gotten into the the facebook end of pln like i kind of uh separate my my two online identities facebook is really personal friends that kind of stuff twitter are the the thousands of faceless people that are educators somewhere in the world that i kind of rely on on that piece so uh if i needed to find out what's happening down the street i'd go to facebook i wouldn't go to twitter but that's really what i use and it's funny how we talk about this all the time on here but it's so funny how so many teachers still don't do that or still don't know what twitter is for and still don't understand how powerful it really could be so it's a good uh, a good topic for today's show yes i would agree with the faceless na- nature of um my, you know my typewriter friends and other people like that on twitter it's pretty much you know a bunch of inanimate objects but you i know, get the most response from twitter see, I have and i have the exact opposite my my facebook is massive and i don't know most of the people on there but on twitter i've met probably half of them face to face. But then like at TCEA, we were all going to dinner and I'm walking in the door and I'm getting Mark on Twitter going, are you here? Am I at the right place? And it occurred to me, I don't know his phone number. I don't know most of the people (laughs) I know on Twitter's phone numbers. We just DM each other. We had a long discussion today that more often than not, we direct message each other on Twitter than use our own email. What's going on with that? How does that happen? Yeah, I had that same thing happen recently. I was trying to contact somebody who uh, I know through Google Plus and through Twitter both, and and uh, I didn't have internet access at, the, at where I was. And I was like, I don't, I have no capacity to communicate with these people without social media. There's, I don't have a phone number. I don't even have an email. I got nothing. Sorry. That's amazing. Had the the jumps we've made in the short time it's been around. Yeah, my favorite quote, what is it? Something like a, a kid says, you know, you ask a kid, do they have email? And they say, email, that's what my grandma uses. <laughs> yeah, but the kids today, the kids today, uh, my Andy Rooney, uh, they're all about <laughs> Facebook messaging and things like that. They're, they're, they're using not only social media, but subsets of social, social media. Yeah, oh, our yeah. students all use either iMessage because they have iPads or they use um facetime and they have all all have email accounts either personally of course or through our school and um they just they all use the messaging or instant messaging 
even more than their texting and everything because it's something that they can do in, cl- in school. Well, you know, I hate to tell you, though, we're actually kind of antiquated already, Mark. You know, we use Skype to connect with each other for the show every week. And I'm finding out now that Skype is kind of like the old way of doing it. If you talk to kids now, it's all about the Ubu. Ubu is like the big way because they you can do multiple people chatting in, in Ubu. Because um, I and I won't bring it up. I'm not going to uh, promote my kids or anything anymore. But in uh, in the various chats that we've been doing at school, and I say, oh, I, I'm just going to use Skype, and they look at me like Skype. Why why are you even bothering with that? So it's funny how quickly things change. But you're right. Like it's a whole different way of communicating that they have over even a generation before them. And, and where's your stand on this, Miss Sandy Kendall, Miss Guru of the social media world? Wow. Okay. So I think Guru is generous, but thank you. Um, I'm basically just someone who loves to learn and share. And so social media fit a real niche for me. Although it's interesting, uh, earlier one of y'all mentioned, I believe it was John, that a lot of teachers aren't on Twitter in particular. Um, And I can relate to that because I had a friend who was actually not an educator who encouraged me to start on Twitter about three years ago. So I signed up for an account and people were just tweeting about, hey, I'm at Starbucks and hey, I'm doing this or and I uh, was like, okay, I have Facebook for people to tell me those things. I don't need another place for that. And so it took me some time and actually being in an in-person workshop where someone demonstrated using Twitter uh, that for me to understand how to leverage social media for my personal and professional learning. So, um, and it's funny too, you talk about separating Facebook out And I also used to do that, but recently I've come to the conclusion that I think Facebook is an easier place to get people started in building a professional learning network because they're already there. And uh, so that's one of the things that uh, I've been starting to talk to people about is how to follow some good folks on Facebook. And then if that's where they wind up connecting, that's great. And if, it makes them hungry for more, then it's really easy to kind of introduce them to Twitter from there. Well, Sandy, I have a question. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I I was just going to ask how much is actually of this is determined by what is or is not blocked at your school for teachers. For me personally, uh, in my district, we still do not have Facebook and Twitter open. We don't have social media open. I um, discovered it, well, it was encouraged to try it on my own, and I use it um, outside of those venues. So I don't, I think you can still encourage people to learn this way without them having access to it during the day. Well, and my argument would be that they all have access all day long anyway, because how many people have a phone in their pocket that can do that stuff? So it's more of an inconvenience sure. when it's blocked at the school. But my question um, for you uh, is, uh, Sandy, is explain to me, like, again, I have a Facebook and it's all my old high school friends, my college buddies, my aunts and uncles, um, you know, those kinds of, of acquaintances and friends. If I start friending educators that I don't know, 
is it strange to have those two worlds blend together? Because I post things, and I wouldn't say they're inappropriate by any means, but I post things that are more personal in nature. They're things about my personal life or things that are happening with my family. I don't know if I want that stuff being shared publicly. Do you have a hard time separating those two things out on Facebook? Well, what I've done, what has worked for me is um, a couple of different things. First of all, I created a Facebook page separate from my personal profile. And I use that page to interact with other educators. I realized I was posting uh, to Facebook some a lot of professional development type things. And, and uh, I have a lot of personal friends who are teachers, but not everybody is. And no one really complained. But I thought, you know, some of these folks might not care about some of the stuff that I am posting about. So I went ahead and experimented with setting up a Facebook page. And because I already had a network on Twitter, I just let people know about that. Now, it hasn't grown tremendously. My Twitter network is still much uh, larger. But uh, I'm able to connect with educators through my page and kind of keep the two uh, places separate. The other thing that just recently um, Facebook started was interest lists. And uh, I actually created a little screencast. Uh, about how to set an interest list up. So if you become a fan of uh, well-known education entities on Facebook like Edutopia or Cool Cat Teacher or something like that, you can create this interest list and easily watch those things um, separate from your newsfeed. So there are ways to leverage Facebook and still keep the private, the personal, and the uh, professional separate. John, I, I have the same issue as you do because Facebook for me is more of the um, personal friends and, you know, people that I've encountered, if you will, um, physically over the course of my, my life. And I found that Twitter for me, it's a little bit easier to, I guess, make that initial engagement because it's less personal. And so you can connect to those people. Um, and, you know, either just watch and kind of read what they're doing and what's going on, or you can, you know, slowly pick who and when you're going to engage. And I found that to be a little bit easier with Twitter. Um, but now that I'm so far into my Facebook the way it is, to undo that and to make it less personal almost seems like an awful lot of work or just, um, you know, not worth the effort or maybe it just won't work and you know i'm gonna have pictures of my you know cute kids taking baths or something like that on school blog pages <laughs> or pictures of well, you taking a bath for that matter <laughs> okay. Brian, we're, think, we're um, friends on facebook i know your dirty secrets i think brian you make some good points um and I actually agree with you most of the way there because Facebook really is more for my personal connections. I think what I'm seeing Facebook uh, as as far as teacher professional learning is just a way for those who are reluctant, who may not want to try a new network at first to mm -hmm. put their toe in. And there's some really active Twitter folks who are also active on Facebook like Vicki Davis, Cool Cat Teacher, or Wes Fryer and his uh, Speed of Creativity, they have quite a few followers on Facebook, and they will initiate conversations there 
I think it's just a way, it's an alternative way for teachers to get in. Quite honestly, everyone needs to dig into the network that works for them. You know, as an example, for me personally, Twitter is my biggest uh, in combination with my blog where I connect with other educators. I have tried Google Plus and it just isn't my thing. And it could be because I'm already invested in Twitter pretty heavily and I just, I don't see the ability to put that much investment in another space. And so I'm not advocating that that people add Facebook if they're already happy with where they're at. It's it's more of a of an entry p- place for folks that maybe haven't done a lot of PLN building yet in my opinion. Well, on that on that note, who what would you recommend a new teacher who has no experience with social networking start? Would it be Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus or or somewhere else entirely? Well, if they have no experience with social networking whatsoever, even personally, I would still have them probably start with Facebook because it just it makes a little more sense to me. Not everyone would agree with that. I would think most teachers have some sort of experience, at least with Facebook, with how many gazillion people are on there now. I've, I, I don't remember the last count. So if you're already using it as a social space, I think it's pretty easy to uh, be introduced to following just a few quality education entities on there and then uh, move out from there. And you, you mentioned Vicki Davis, um, who's been on this show before, absolutely fabulous right. cool cat teacher. Looking over the show notes, you have a couple of other recommended resources, free technology for teacher or free tech for teachers, a, a great yes. place, speed yes. of creativity learning. That's a new one for me. What is that one about? That's, for, uh, are you familiar with Wes Fryer? Yes, that's his? That's his, yeah. Okay. His, and his then blog Wonderopolis? is actually speed So. Um, Wonderopolis is just is more of a direct teacher tool. They are part of the Thinkfinity family. If you're familiar with Thinkfinity uh, Foundation that uh, has put together a lot of quality resources like National Geographic and uh, they're all leaving me right now. But uh, Wonderopolis is a newer one. They post a wonder of the day. And it usually has a video with it and some discussion about it. And it's a great discussion starter for kids. So that one's more of a practical teacher tool than it is a person to learn from. But um, it just shows the variety of the types of folks that you could connect with on Facebook if you didn't want to try a new space. Fabulous. Now, you weren't always this this well-versed. You're not new to the education arena by any stretch of the imagination. So let's go back just a little bit. You've been in education, what, five years, six, something like that? Uh, this is the coming up on the end of my 18th year. Wow. Absolutely wonderful. So before you had all of this, since you were around before Google, not to make you feel old because <laughs> you look you look 20 today, Sandy. You Girl, look amazing. I, was, I was around <laughs> before Yahoo. I was around before Mosaic. Some of you will understand that. Barely, Wait, do you though, know- barely. Do you know what the original uh, test name for Google was? Mark, do you know this? This is more of a techie thing. I think this has come up before. Um, when they first came up with it, where were they, Stanford or wherever, um, originally their first beta database algorithm they called Backrub. So oh, think yeah. about think about what that could have meant. If they had kept that, 
How awesome would that be? Like instead of Googling yourself, yeah, I back rubbed myself last night. That it would just change the entire world. The entire world would be a different place right now. Back rub uh, would have connotation. Think of oh what a the world, world would be what much a, happier. It would, it would be more caring. Be harder to do the doodles though. <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. Well played, Sandy. Well played. Thank so you. back in those back in those early days, how did you connect to educators that that maybe some of them are still there, and how do we move them forward? Well, um, you know, I've I've always been a connector. When I was uh, even very first in the classroom, I. I'd be walking down the hall and I'd see something in another teacher's classroom that that a project that they had their students had completed or whatever. I would walk in and ask. And um, teachers are notorious for not like tooting their own horn and sharing what they're doing. I think the majority of them are like that, uh, sweeping generalization. But if you ask them, or at least I found in my experience, if I asked, they were willing to let me know what was going on. So I just did a lot of face-to-face connection. Um, and then as the internet grew and matured, for me, because that was just kind of my default setting, uh, I sought out places where I could connect with other educators. When I first got onto AOL back in the day, because that's how a lot of us started out on, you know, connecting to the internet, I looked for groups and I wound up in Usenet news groups for teachers and posted ideas there and uh, got ideas back. I don't think a lot of people adopted those uh, back then. So uh, I just kept reading professionally, going to as much professional development as I could. But then over time, as as the internet and the amazing resources we have on there have evolved, uh, you know, I've found ways to use that to help me. And yet social media was not a natural place for me at first. When I got on Facebook, it was all about just connecting socially with friends. And it it wasn't until someone in person showed me how I could use Twitter that I understood ways to leverage that. Yeah, I think it's interesting to, uh, uh, or maybe important to, uh, note that social networking existed before there was Twitter and Facebook. We yes. just called it something different. Yeah. Um, and, and Talking. now it's, yeah, now it's, Talking. it's that, uh, you know, co- break room coffee uh, pot chatter with somebody in India instead of right. somebody down the hall. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's the same thing that, hopefully we're doing in person. But again, I still think that educators, you know, tend to wind up in silos. We're we're used to being in our four walls of our classroom, getting done what we need to get done. And uh, whether you're doing it in person, face-to-face, or whether you're trying to use uh, technology tools to connect, it takes effort. It takes effort from you. And in the beginning, you might just be a consumer of information. You might which is, I think, on Facebook, what a lot of people might be at first. But if you get in the right places, like if you get on Vicki Davis's uh, Cool Cat Teacher page, if you become a fan of that or like it or whatever the Facebook terminology is now, she starts conversations on there and people get invested in those conversations. And so, uh, you know, the, the possibilities now are endless. We just have to help people see them. What I've noticed in... You know, this may or may not happen at my school, but um, there seems to be among some teachers 
a heavy competition of if you're doing that, then I have to do that because it makes me look bad if you're doing it and I'm not. Or I need to do this because this makes me look better than my peers, you know, if, especially if they teach the same grade level or things like that. And what I've noticed as they reach out, if I can encourage them to reach out and, and to connect to other teachers that are outside of their building, that all of the teachers seem to be far more willing to help each other because that competition part is is not there. And if it is there, it's extremely healthy in, oh, if you can do that, then I can do it versus you're making me look bad um, by doing what you're doing. That's interesting. And I wonder if... Um I wonder if connecting with people outside of, of their building could eventually encourage them to do the same with, with their own coworkers and peers, like sure. maybe break down some walls. Um, I, I personally never understood teachers that were that competitive with each other because for me, if it's good for your kids, it's probably good for mine. If it's good for my kids, it's probably good for yours on some level. And so I think part of that is we have to get out of the mindset of, um, you know, wanting to be the best just for us and realize that we're in it for the 23 or 25 kids in our classroom and the 550 kids in our school, whatever's going on. So. Let me ask you a question, Sandy, because I, now, again, I'm in New York, so I'm sure things are a little different in Texas, but can't be that, that different. Everything's bigger. Right. Well, yeah. We, but we have um, some major, major economic problems right now, and schools are losing funding. There's people being cut. There's programs that are being cut. And, of course, staff development is the first thing to go. And in a lot of school districts, what's now being, what's now being implemented is you no longer have those outside agencies or those outside uh, specialists or gurus who are coming in to provide that training, they're now turning to the teachers in the building and saying, okay, well, you need to train each other. You know, use, use what's in the building, which I personally think is a great idea. Do you see something like the idea of a social networking, you know, like we were just talking about kind of expanding it outside the classroom walls. Do you see that really becoming embraced by public education or education as a whole in, in the U.S.? as a, a way to get around having to pay for that quote unquote quality professional development. You know, I don't, I don't know what the long-term ramifications of this are going to be. Uh, we are also in a world of hurt economically in education here in Texas. Um, I watched good friends lose their jobs last year and I'm going to watch them lose it again this year. And, um, and so I do believe that, that social media uh, connections through social media can help us to help one another because the funding to bring in people or to send folks to conferences just isn't there as much anymore. Um, it would actually be interesting if these one of the um, silver linings of the this economic downturn and, and this um, drying up of the education funding spigot did result in people connecting more uh, via vehicles like Twitter and Facebook and whatever other Web 2.0 tools you want to talk about. 
Um, I hadn't thought about that, but I think that's an intriguing idea and what we might need to look for. And it's hard because when you're in the middle of, of the stuff you're losing, it's hard to be optimistic and look for opportunity. But maybe one of the things we need to do is look at this as an opportunity to promote some of the learning we've already all benefited from uh, prior to these situations. Well, isn't it a sad truth, though? See, I don't think that we'll be seeing public education or schools in general embracing things like using Facebook as a PLN anytime soon, simply because schools really like to pay for crap they don't need to pay for. Like, let's be honest. Have you noticed that? I mean, Mark, you're a big proponent of open source software, open source solutions. Schools don't use that stuff. They pay for some proprietary garbage that doesn't work as well, and it costs a fortune. So it's just, it's so backwards. And I mean, we're getting off track now. Believe it or not, it's my fault. But, you know, it, it is, it, it just goes to show like things like Facebook and Twitter or whatever you choose to use really are so powerful. And by and large, it's being neglected, I guess, from, from the people up, up on top, right? Well, you know, I, I don't want to come to the defense of, of, of the the bean counters but you do have to realize <laughs> that there there are larger decisions being made around the, all over the place and so um yeah there there's a lot of of waste being made and i don't understand it i never did uh but somebody somewhere along the line thought that was a good idea and and so that mm -hmm. you know the, the answer to everything is education in the same way that we try to educate uh our students and and those of us who are techs try to educate our teachers uh, there also has to be some education on the administrative side and, and that goes uh, uh double for social media because at most schools that i know of social media is a no-no and and some i i can't remember i think it was missouri um tried to pass a law that said a teacher can't have a social network presence yeah. period so it's a it's a big deal uh to to get people to understand the value of this because the the knee-jerk reaction is always shut it down we don't understand it yeah but that that comes completely from the tech side and the big fear that came along with sepa and and ferpa and and all of those as teachers the teacher side of it is we know kids learn best socially I mean, we've, we've all got, you know, younger kids and they go somewhere. You don't want them sitting in a solitary room all by themselves at daycare, or, you know, wherever all day. We're always trying to give them more social stuff. We overbook our kids because we want them to be social and go out and do things together. Yet they come into school and we put them in a silo and say, no, you learn exactly what's in front of you and nothing else. So, I mean, I always stand up for a good tech director. I'll throw a bad one under the bus in a heartbeat, but... I'm thinking this is a, a tech angle that's caused this because teachers, we know, we know that kids are social and we also know our kids are using this and they have the ability to use these tools in the classroom. So I'm raving the big bad tech directors for shutting us down. Mark I, Brian. I'm going <laughs> to agree with you. Um, I think that um, a lot of things are done in the name of um, network security or what I've view in the school as social security and for me as a tech director independent of what i think about the social issue i try to you know curb everything is there a technical security issue and if the answer is yes then we obviously need to do something in order to mitigate that you know technical security issue um 
And yes, sometimes that does step on the toes of the teachers and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but, you know, having a network that has this little feature that you like or having no working network at all sometimes is the actual question or the decision that we're making, you know, in between there. So, but yes, I mean, in, in the past, the philosophy has been turn everything off and then slowly start flipping on only the switches of the things that you need. And I think what we're saying now is we need to, you know, not necessarily start with all of these switches on, but start with some of the major areas. Let's start with grouping certain things. Um, I've actually gotten to the point at our school where I've asked a couple of times, you know, should we be turning on Facebook? And so far, the answers I'm getting back from our administration is we need to keep Facebook off. Um, I haven't pushed it hard. I just keep dropping little seeds, you know, there. And the issue is, is I don't feel that Facebook is any more of a security threat than anything else that they're doing. And quite frankly, if their kids are able to iMessage each other back and forth, then how is Facebook messaging any different than, you know, that ability? So, you know, let's try to turn these things on so that we can actually change what we're doing in the classroom. I think uh, a lot of the fear in these areas, too, um, is the fact that the terminology is social media. Sometimes I wonder if we could repackage it as learning media or connecting media or something like that. Would that um, break down some barriers? Uh, and to your point about Facebook, I think that one's going to be um, scary to people for a while because of cyberbullying issues. Sure. Um, now, building the bridges to help folks understand that um, if we have access to some of these tools, we could actually mentor our students and educate them on using them properly. Uh, rather than just giving them the social media talk, you should or shouldn't do this, but if we could actually engage in conversation around those things, uh, that would be supreme. And so you're, you're going to have folks at all ends of the spectrum. I find that tech directors who come from an entirely just technical background will tend to be way more conservative than ones who also had have an education background. Agreed. But the reality is we're all on the same team, no matter what background yeah. we came from. And so those of us who understand the importance of using these tools professionally and ultimately helping students understand them better, we just have to keep building bridges and keep like, I like what you said about you've asked about Facebook a couple times, but you're not pushing it yet. And I know we want things to happen faster, but sometimes it just it does take some bridge building uh, in order to get there. And uh, I understand frustration on some people's parts, but I also I also understand the folks that that have what they feel are legitimate concerns. Well, just and, a, uh, a comment from the chat room here uh, uh, from Nightstar mm -hmm. in the chat room says that it's easier to block 
technologically than to deal with the problem. And I, I really think that's a big issue. It's it's an expediency thing. Uh, with the the tech guy with a couple of clicks of the mouse at the filter can make all the classroom discipline issues related to Facebook go away. So it's easier to crowd control and, and manage uh, at that point. I, I don't necessarily personally think it's better, but I can't argue that it's not easier. Well, and the thing, the thing too is it's not that black and white. I don't know if you guys caught a few weeks ago the charter school in Florida that sent a letter out to parents saying, get your kids off Facebook. And this was a 6 through 12 charter school. Uh, I pulled the letter down from their website. And it, it is, and the quote was, it is our professional opinion that you should get your kids off of Facebook because of the cyberbullying issues they were having at their school. These students didn't have, to my understanding, access during the day. The thing is, shutting it off at school does not stop the issues that are occurring. If anything, it, it gives us less opportunity to work with students. The other thing is this, you're never going to eliminate all the problems. There will be cyberbullying. There will be inappropriate use of social media. But we can't help make any dent in any of that. We can't mitigate the fear of professionals, and we can't help students mature in their use if we continue to keep it completely. Completely blocked. Are you really saying that teenagers will always make bad decisions? I, I think that's a little uh, black and white, honestly. To no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, of <laughs> no, course, I wasn't uh, saying <laughs> teenagers are always going to make bad decisions. I'm just saying the other thing is you're never going to completely control it, no matter what aspect you take. If you have it blocked on your school network, they have it in their pocket and they can text it without looking. Okay. So well, and that's my not- that's my complaint. As far as uh, as far as blocking stuff, they're going to be able to get to it, whether you're, they're using the school computer or they're using their cell phone and they're going into the bathroom to text so no one can see or to update their status or whatever the case. So exactly. when I start, so I guess I have the other extreme view. You're right. It's easier just to block everything. But when you block everything, that means there's a absolute zero percent chance that any teacher or any student could actually use it for something effective or productive in the class. And that's where the problem comes in. And, you know, I know, and I'm not stupid. I know how this works. I don't know the tech, you know, all the technical back end, but I know that at any given time, one of those tech people in my building can find out what computer I'm logged into, what sites I've been to, what software I've loaded, all the things that I'm doing. We have that information on every single person that's on our network. I don't understand when there's a problem with like a kid on Facebook or a kid doing something wrong, why they go and block it for everybody. If it was up to me, I'd go to the teacher and say, what are you doing in your classroom that you have kids screwing around the computer and you don't know what they're doing? Like, it, it seems so much more to me like it's a problem with the teachers than it is with the kids. I know that if I'm doing something stupid, it's my fault. I don't understand how, but the thing is, if someone's watching over my shoulder and they're responsible for what I'm doing, it's also their fault because they're letting me get away with it. So really, Sorry. you're talking about two things, John. And I know I've said it. I will almost guarantee you that Sandy has said it. Don't blame technology when it's a classroom management issue. And we're, we're quick to run in and say, oh, well, it's, it's the phones. We let them bring phones. Uh, no. How about manage your classroom? How about be the professional that you can be? So that's, that's kind of the immediate thing. But the other thing that I think we're missing is that it, it really annoys me that I work in a profession where there's a total lack of trust. The tech people don't trust the teachers. The teachers don't trust the tech people. The administration doesn't 
trust the teachers. The teachers don't trust the students. If if we ran our houses like that, we would all be divorced, even more than the 50% of people <laughs> in America, and we would all hate each other. What What is this? Where Where is this place that we work? I don't understand this total lack of trust, and it's across well, the board for everyone. Christy, I think, too, that there's kind of a middle ground on this. You know, I would agree with you that if you know, if you've got YouTube unblocked in your district and your bandwidth is maxing out every day, then there's probably an issue with how it's being used and whether or not it's being monitored. The other thing we have to take into account is unblocking any of these tools needs to be paired with professional development for teachers. We make an assumption, I, I think some of us make an assumption that people just inherently know how to manage all of this. This is a paradigm shift in education, whether you are using it to educate your students or not. Uh, And you can't just throw the gates open. And I've seen this happen where a school or a district will say, okay, today we're unblocking YouTube. It goes terribly wrong. And then it's reblocked and no one's ever going to bring it up again. You have to pair it. You have to say, okay, here are some of the things that may occur. How are we going to handle it? Um, We started doing professional development for our teachers a few years ago on using blended learning, first uh, through Moodle and then through a uh, product that the state of Texas uh, now provides to us called Epsilon. The first thing we do before we um, show teachers how to use those platforms is a class on digital citizenship. And some of the things we ask them to do are, what are your guidelines going to be for how your kids can use this? What are your consequences going to be when they use it inappropriately? You don't just throw all these tools out at people and expect it to go well without investing time in developing your staff. That is my number one soapbox. I would rather not throw the floodgates open than throw them open and not help people be ready to manage it. Don't you think that most teachers are of the feeling that if I have to go through all of this extra training and this and that, isn't it easier just to avoid it altogether and I'll just continue to teach the way that I have been teaching? And I think on that note, if we can somehow convince teachers that process of ongoing learning and to be a self-learner and to seek out learning opportunities, whether they be, you know, five minutes on the web at some point or whether they be, you know, formal sit down, you know, professional development stuff, but just to be, you know, spend a little bit out of every single day learning something and reading about something or whatever, if we can instill that in them then all of those professional development opportunities or, oh, if I go to try this, you know, you've already instilled the idea of wanting to um, grasp for more. And I don't necessarily feel like all teachers are in that boat. You know, some of them are in the coasting mode where I've done this for a while. I'm just going to keep doing what I do because it's easier to keep doing that. I know a lot of teachers, though, who've been in the profession a long time who are eager to use these tools with their kids. Sometimes the veterans are more eager than the newer teachers uh, just because they have some years under their belt and some uh, some things are, are more natural to them. I don't know that most teachers 
uh, avoid it because of the need for professional development. Um, I think we do need to give it to them in small chunks. We don't need to make it a huge hurdle, but we do need to help them uh, give them ideas for how to manage it in the classroom and uh, and make it an opportunity, not another giant responsibility. Well, Sandy made us all go quiet. All praise be to Sandy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I just got on my soapbox, that's all. That's fabulous, though, because your passion really comes through. And I think that we need more educators who who have kind of the tech know-how. We're, we're a neat hodgepodge of people here on the show. I'm just sitting here looking at the five of us all smiling back at me. And all of us do have a little higher than average tech know-how. And it's, it's not lorded. Like, I know some of those techie people, and I won't mention any names that come to mind from a certain listserv I'm on, but there's certain techie people who lord that knowledge. Like, I am so smart and you are my minion. And I think when you find that unique mix of people that are both educators and or work in an education with passion and have that tech knowledge, like the five that I see here, and I know many of our listeners, We've got to spread that. We've got to share that around so that we can make the leaps forward that are needed in education. So I'm told that um, Brian has some amazing video that he wants to share with us. What do you have for us tonight, Brian? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't decide if this was actually a tech tip or if it's a more of a teacher tip. But as the conversations progressed, I think it's something that's extremely relevant. Now, I'm going to warn you right off the bat because we're all very ADD. Um, I'm ADHD. The, I get an extra letter. <laughs> the The video is almost 12 minutes long, um, but it definitely captures your attention. Um, I posted it at my blog, which is tasontech.com, but um, it's called Changing Education Paradigms, and you can either look it up on Google Plus because I posted it there. Um, and also, you know, it's on YouTube, but, um, essentially it is a video that, um, that discusses, you know, what's wrong with our public education and how to, um, begin the process of changing it. And it is so incredibly thought provoking. Um, our head of school showed it to our faculty, uh, yesterday, in fact, at a, um, uh, faculty and staff training, and it was absolutely unbelievable um, to see, number one, the attentiveness of all of our teachers, no matter what level they were at, and number two, at the very end, that they just kind of all stopped and paused. Um, and then afterwards, I got a few tech questions from it, but the best part, I think, about the video is it's really not about technology. It's talking about how we change education. And yes, you could use technology in that, but it's it's not a video about technology. So check it out. Love it. Yeah, that, that video is by the great Sir Ken Robinson, one of my favorite people in the entire mm -hmm. world. And today I actually read an article from him. Um, it was come across a blog. I'm pretty sure I tweeted it out. Some high school students had the opportunity to question him, to interview him. And they asked him, if we gave you a blank check, total blank check, and money was no object, what would your school look like? What would it be? And it, I'm pretty sure he said he would call it Explore Academy because he believes, 
you know, education and the learning process starts with exploring. And he goes on and makes some fabulous points. But for those that just need that inspiration, and this seems to be the time of year when I really need inspiration to make <laughs> it to May, I always go back to him because he's not a techie person. He has a fabulous British accent, and I adore listening to him. And he's a little sarcastic, if you can imagine. But he's, he's great to listen to, and I highly recommend that video. Well, and I have a, a tip. It's a, a quick one, and I guess it's kind of redundant, I guess, in a sense, because everyone has their favorite tool that already does this, but it's a new one that I haven't found. Um, there's a, a website that does an online animation. You, know, you can make little animated cartoons and, and those kinds of things. Um, very similar. I know the popular ones are like uh, Poof and Go Animate. Um, the big one's Extra Normal. But the one that I found that I've kind of been toying around with is called FluxTime. It's just FluxTime.com. And the thing that drew me to it right away, and it's kind of the first thing I always look at when I'm exploring new tools to be using in the classroom, you don't need an account to do it. And that's huge for me because at my school, our kids don't have email accounts like Brian's do. So if there's a site that requires some kind of login, it just turns into a huge logistical nightmare of kids either using their own emails and then forgetting passwords or having to set up a teacher account and then do everything under that account. So FluxTime does not have that problem, which is really nice. And it's pretty easy to use. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the, so you can take a look at that. There are some limited options on it, like something like Extra Normal has a whole lot more worth of, you know, of features. Um, but it's really cool, especially it's geared, especially at like the higher elementary levels, I'd say fourth, fifth grade up through middle school. Um, what it's a cool way to make little animated cartoons online. So that's going to be my, my final tech tip. Uh, for for the show is flux time. I feel like I'm in Back to the Future. Anytime I hear the word flux, I instantly flux. think flux capacitor. I am a big, big fan of Back to the Future. Christy, I don't know if you know this. Uh, I actually have a Back to the Future quote inscribed on the back of my iPad. That, that's Do how you big really? Uh, the, my iPad, my wife got it for me for our, our, I think it was fifth anniversary. I don't even remember anymore. Don't tell her that part. Uh, fifth wedding anniversary, we got it uh, last year, and she it was my surprise for the anniversary, and she had roads where we're going, we don't need roads, inscribed on the back of my iPad, and she said it was either that or my wife, I love my wife, those are the two choices for uh, her quotes, and she decided to do the Back of the Future one instead. That is awesome. So, well, before, before uh, Christy wraps up and Brian has to do the obligatory contact us, um, I have to explain why this was my final tip of the week. Uh, as we mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, um, I am stepping down from my high horse as host of the show, and Christy and her purple hat and her fancy shoes are climbing up onto that horse, uh, and she's going to try to um, rope in Brian and and, um, and Mark and, and serve as the host of the show. So I will be disappearing for a while. Um, so for folks who have been listening for a long time, I, I appreciate that. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and Mark and Brian, especially uh, dealing with me every week, they, believe it or not, I'm actually not very good at staying on, on task and staying focused. And I usually have some ridiculous outbursts. And they either do a great job of somehow making those make sense um, or completely ignoring them. So I, I've always appreciated that. So thank you, guys. Uh, and Christy, uh, you know, you guys are in good hands with Christy. And Christy, I, I can't wait to... Um, listen in and probably show up on the online chat while you guys are recording future shows 
using pseudonyms and heckling the crap out of all of you. Really excited. <laughs> we look forward to it. Our viewing, our viewing just went up by a whole one. We're very excited. Yes. <laughs> so, so before you run away, John, my, my list today is something that I go back to when I need a chuckle. I love EdTech tweeted it out a little more than a year ago, but it's the, you know, you're a techie teacher win. And I have to wonder how many of these fit you. I'm not going to go through the whole list because there's 22 and I'll be tired by then. But you will notice I did make a comment on this and I added my own, which I'll be sure to plug. But um, if I had to pick some out that I think definitely fit John, keeping in mind that this is a PG-13 show, you know you're techie teacher. Oh, wait a teacher. minute. Did this just turn into a roast? I'm getting roasted now, the final yes. minutes of this show? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry you didn't get that in the notes, but yes, it is. You know oh, you're a techie teacher. Win. Clerking, tweeting, and playing with your wiki in public are acceptable behaviors. I think that one fits you very well. <laughs> playing on with parent my wiki, that sounds night. as bad as back rubbing yourself. <laughs> on parent-teacher night, instead of exchanging business cards, you bump. You express yourself with emoticons. Your significant other gets jealous of your PLN. Does that not fit great with tonight's little deal? <laughs> You've Googled your principal. I promise we will not tell. The tech department is sick of your constant requests to unblock Twitter. Casual Friday means logging Google. in. Or Google. <laughs> Never mind the fruit. You want a real apple for Christmas. And then my own personal one that I added is that when you enable your vacation message on your email and everyone thinks you're amazingly fast at answering emails. That's how you know you're a techie teacher. And I think they fit you well, John. How did he do that? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that's a, a fitting farewell, I suppose. <laughs> oh, well, well, before we all start to tear up about the loss of amazing typewriter... Um, he was he was amazing in the introduction. Oh yes, he was. He was amazing. I Fabulous, was amazing. Ryan. Rolling. And, and you know what? Now, for people who can't see, we have a Google Doc that we keep all of our stuff in. And uh, I was trying to. This is, I guess, I was trying to haze you a little bit, Christy. And as you were talking and introducing us, I was underlining things and and trying to make things bold and stuff just to throw you off. And like a champ, you made your way right through it. <laughs> All right, Ryan, before they all shut us down and shake their heads, please let them know how to contact us and maybe come back next week. <laughs> That's right. And I, I would like to say that we actually had um, uh, some great uh, feedback this, this past week. Um, specifically, it was through Facebook. Um, but we actually had some good feedback and show ideas and everything. So we really appreciate that. So um, a few ways to contact us, of course, elementopi.com slash teacher. You can find us there, and also while you're over at the website, um, check out all the other great um, Element OP shows, um, of which every single one of them has Mark. Um, so if you're a Mark fan, <laughs> Why do you say it that way? Because it's You sound true. like a, you're giving a disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> so if you're a Mark fan, go there for all the Mark a guy could ever want. Or girl, or girl. <laughs> Um, in fact, when Mark's not home and he's recording podcasts, I believe that this is what his family does, is they just play Mark um, back for the rest of them, and they remember, oh, that's Dad, and it's fantastic. 
<laughs> um, also, you can find us on Twitter. Imagine that. Element OP slash Tightwad Teacher. Um, if you would like to find John and heckle him, and we encourage you to do so. So anybody who comments and asks for John's contact information, it will be provided. Um, you can find John at John Mikulski. And yes, he's still teaching and doing all that wonderful stuff. So he will talk to you and, um, and offer suggestions and feedback there. You can find Christy and I at Christy underscore Vincent. And you can find me at Bruger. And of course, you can find the fantastic Mark at Mark Cockrell. Um, and Sandy, do you have a, a Twitter account that you would like to, um, plug in there so we can find you either there or a Facebook uh, link? Um, yes, I'm at EdTechSandyK on Twitter, and uh, that's the best way to find me. My Facebook is also Facebook.com slash EdTechSandyK, so I'd love to connect with people in either location. Awesome. You, you can connect yeah. with her other 3,800 followers. She's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be one of the masses. Oh, gosh. Uh, lastly, I mentioned uh, Facebook. You can find uh, facebook.com slash elementopie. And we are so close to getting our 25 likes on our Facebook page. So let's do the shameless plug once again um, to have you and all of your friends go out there so we can have our own vanity URL of facebook.com slash tightwadteacher. Um, so go check us out. Go on uh, Facebook and type in tightwadteacher and you will find us. Lastly, you can leave us a voicemail at 559-I-AM-O-B. And also, uh, every week when we do this show, we do stream it live, and we did have some good uh, comments this week from the chat room, people who were joining us live and, and feeding back uh, while we go, and we encourage you to do that. If you follow uh, Element OP on Twitter or any of these guys, actually, on Twitter, they always uh, make it known when we're going on, but that's uh, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, or as close to 8 p.m. Central Time as we can get everybody here and connected, uh, we do this show. And uh, please join in and and um, be a part of the show. Okay, this is the part where we're supposed to sign off. I already have my sign off already prepared, so I'm going to just take it take it away from here and see right, if right. Christy can recover. Um, it's been a great show, and I'm going to save John for the last. But I will say, this is Brian. Signing off. Shut your face. <laughs> That's copyright infringement. I said it first. This is Christy signing off. Enjoy your shoes this week. And this is John. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. And I got nothing. Good night, everybody.